0: Hello, and welcome to Look to Love, a podcast from me, J.O. Gerhart, to help you read the Bible a better way, to see, know, and fall in love with God. Every week, we read a passage of scripture, usually a chapter or so, working our way from Genesis to Revelation, and we ask the question, who is God? We focus our attention on him in hopes of seeing him more clearly and ultimately loving him more dearly. Loving God, remember is the reason you're alive. It's your destiny. So join me as we open our Bibles and look to love. Have you ever asked the question, "What could I do for God?" Maybe you have. Today we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at a moment when David asked that question. He looked around He said, I have so much. What could I give to God? God's response may surprise you. Okay, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. We begin at a really healthy point in the reign of King David. Good things have been happening. He's finally reunited the kingdom. There'd been a split upon Saul's death and it took David a few years to get everybody on board with him as king. But now he is living in Jerusalem. He's built himself a palace. Uh, Things seem to be going quite well. He's reinstated tabernacle worship. Uh, And so things are the way they're supposed to be for the first time in a very long time. And David is enjoying a period of peace and accomplishment and victory. And it's in that moment when David has a thought. And that's where we'll begin in chapter 17, verse 1. When David had settled into his palace, okay, so the the work has been done, he's settled in. He said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of the Lord's covenant is under tent curtains. So Nathan told David, do all that is on your mind for God is with you. Okay, so David has looked around in his surroundings, and he says, look, I've got this gorgeous house. It's made of cedar. It's beautiful. And I just went to worship God today, and he's living in a tent. It doesn't seem right that I should live in this beautiful house and that God should live in that tent. And so David gets this idea that he wants to build a temple. And Nathan says to him, hey, God's with you. I mean, that has been proven to Nathan again and again that Yahweh is with David, that Yahweh is working through David. And so Nathan says, hey, do whatever you want to do. God's with you. Well, that night, God comes to Nathan and he says, go to David, my servant, and say, okay, so God's got a message. He's like, Nathan, you didn't ask me. Before, that appears to be what happened. Nathan just assumed God would be good with David's plan. Uh, So God says, hey, Nathan, I'm actually not good with the plan. We're going to find out. And he says, I want you to go and tell David this. This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a house for me to dwell in. From the time I brought Israel out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house Instead, I have moved from one tent site to another and from one tabernacle location to another in all my journeys throughout Israel. Have I ever spoken a word to even one of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So here God is saying, hey, it's sweet that you want to build me a house. But did you ever stop to think that I didn't ask for a house? Did you ever think that perhaps I, Yahweh, God creator of the whole world, might have been able to get a house if I wanted one? So the first thing God has to say to David here is just, I didn't ask for this. I I don't want you to build it. I've never wanted it. A house, a place to be settled, a place to stay still is not something that I have asked for. So the second thing he says to him, let's keep reading. So now, this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest on earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. Okay, this paragraph is fantastic. We began with God saying, David, I didn't ask for a temple. And then we get God saying, and just to be clear, I'm the one who gives the good gifts. I'm the one who takes care of you, you are not the one who has to take care of me. We're getting this flipping here, where God's making it clear to David, who holds the reins in this relationship? It's me, I'm the one who takes care of you, I'm the one who protects you, I'm the one who gives you good gifts. You are not the one with power here, you're not the one with excess that needs to share it with me, I'm the one who's sharing my power and my goodness and my excess with you. Okay, and he does it, God does it in a very uh, gentle and kind and generous way. Uh, God could have reoriented David here a little more abruptly, but instead he just reminds him, hey, I'm the one who's been with you. I'm the one who's destroyed your enemies. He'll go on and he says, furthermore, I declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. If we weren't sure that that's what God was up to here, we know it at this point. God says, I am the one who will build a house for you. You don't need to build a house for me. I will build a house for you. And he, of course, here is not talking about a physical house like the one David has, but a house like um, the Hufflepuff house, <laughs> uh, the house of a family that, that lasts for generations. It's, it's a, a body, a community, a reigning family. He says, when your time comes to be with your fathers, I will raise up after you a descendant, one who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. I, again, am going to give my power your son he is the one who will build a house for me so god says okay i am going to allow the house i'm going to let you guys build me a house but it's going to be your son who does it and i will establish his throne forever i will be his father and he will be my son so again god is setting up this relationship this power dynamic where i'm the father He's the son. And so, yes, it is about reminding David, hey, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who gives the gifts. I'm the one who is uh, the head of this relationship. But at the same time, notice all the relationship language. I will be his father and he will be my son and I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you, that's Saul. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever and his throne will be established forever. God appears to be trying to remind David that his relationship with God is secure. He doesn't need to build him a temple to earn any further favor from God. God says to David, hey, respect me. Remember, I'm in charge. And God also says, I love you. I want to keep reading in chapter 17 and look at David's response to this message from God. It's a very personal uh, speech. It's a gift, I think, for God to talk to you this way. I mean, who wouldn't love to get a direct message from God if God decided to talk to me through a prophet sometime and brought me this long letter? I think I would just faint uh, out of excitement and hum—you know, humility, I guess. When people uh, get a, like a, an Oscar and they get up there and they say, I'm just so humbled, I'm always confused. I'm like, "Why? how does being told you're the best actress make you feel humble? <laughs> but at the same time, getting a message directly from God, I think it would make me feel humble, right? I think it, when you're thrust into these moments of encounter with greatness, whatever that greatness looks like, I think you have to look at yourself and realize uh, that you just don't feel up to that greatness. You realize you aren't you aren't worth it. Whatever whatever this thing that has happened to you that is so extraordinary when you compare it to you yourself, you realize, "Oh man, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be best actress. I'm not worthy of a message from Yahweh." And that is exactly David's first reaction. He says, then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence. So he got the whole vision from Nathan, but then he went to the tabernacle and he decided to sit with God. And he said, who am I, Lord God? Who am I, Yahweh, God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? He just looks at himself and thinks, I am not worthy. Who am I, Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? This is a little thing to you, God. For you have spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. You regard me as a man of distinction, Lord God. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? You know, he realizes that this reorientation here, (laughs) this moment of, hey, you're not in charge, I'm in charge, but I love you, that it's a gift, that it's an honor. David immediately remembers his position in relationship to God and feels humble feels like he can't believe that he gets this honor and this privilege he says lord you have done this great thing making known all these great promises for the sake of your servant and according to your will lord yahweh there is no one like you and there is no god besides you as all we have heard confirms and who is like your people Israel? Like David's just, I think this is one of those moments where David just looks around and the gratitude wells up inside of him. And it's more, I don't know if you've ever felt so thankful that you felt heavy. Like it felt like a burden. Like you couldn't even explain it. You couldn't, you didn't know why all these good things had happened to you. And it just seemed like too much, like too much blessing. And so David is looking at God and he's like, I, I, you know it's almost like there's no words and and so all he can do is just tell God how good God is and he can only just ask these questions like who am I and who is your people Israel God you made your people Israel your own people forever like your own here we get that personal connection and love that God has to his people Israel and you Lord have become their God that's a personal relationship right with that pronoun now, Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house be confirmed forever. And so David is just like, I want this. I want this to be the truth forever. You know, he doesn't even seem disappointed at all that he's not the one who's going to build the temple. Uh, he just seems honored, which is exactly what God was hoping was to reorient him, to remind him that he's not he's not owed this um, and he doesn't get to call the shots. And David immediately receives that. And he receives it as a gift. He says, Since you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house, your servant has found courage to pray in your presence. It's so interesting here, this, this whole thing, while it has humbled him, and he says, Who even am I that you should love me like this? He also says, your servant has found courage to pray in your presence because of this message. Like, God, this message has made it possible for me to come close to you. Lord, you indeed are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. So now you have been pleased to bless your servant's house, that it may continue before you forever. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it is blessed forever. I picked this particular passage from 1 Chronicles uh, because it's I, I love any long speech from God. Whenever God talks for a long time, I think there's a lot to see as we ask the question, who is God? Uh, I used to be a literature professor, and one of my favorite things was to break down a speech, let's say, from Shakespeare, um, or maybe maybe one of Mark Antony's speeches, let's say, in Julius Caesar, and figure out who is Mark Antony? What can I tell about him from this long speech? Because those long speeches reveal And so here we get God talking for a long time to David and his speech reveals, we learn things about him. I think one of the first things we noticed was uh, that part about journeying where God says, hey, I didn't ask for a temple. And anytime I think of the temple, I think of the temple as something we imposed upon God because of this passage. I realized God was willing to live in a temple But that was not God's choice. God's choice was to live in a tent and to travel. He says, in all my journeying, God is a journeying God. God moves. He likes to move with his people. He likes to lead his people. God is on the move. We see that again with Jesus. When he comes to earth, he does not stay in one spot. He doesn't have a town that he lives in. Even in his childhood, he lives in a number of different towns. This is because God is a journeying God. There is something about God that likes to be moving. We'll see that with the Holy Spirit later. The Holy Spirit is a moving God. He is described as a wind, right? Uh, and so the Holy Spirit doesn't stay still, he moves. And so, living inside the temple was the people's request. Just like the people requested a king, and God was willing to give them a king in Saul, uh, David requests a temple, and God is willing to let the people worship him in a temple. But it's very clear. In God's words in this passage, he's a journeying God. He's a God who moves. He's a God who likes living in a tent. But as we keep going and we ask that question, who is God, those two things, they keep jumping out. God wants to be respected. God wants David to realize, hey, in our relationship, I'm always the one with power. I'm always the one who's giving. You can't give me something that I don't have. I don't need from you. I'm the one who gives to you. I'm the one protecting you. I don't need you to shelter me in a temple. I am the one who shelters you. I'm the one who's given you your position. I'm the one who's given you your wealth. And I love it when you give some of that back to me in a sacrifice maybe, but I don't need it. I don't need you to take care of me in this relationship. But then also, who is God. We've got this God who wants the relationship. The relationship matters to him. He wants David to know, I love you. I love your son. I'm committed to you in love. And this is a place where we can be close. I think we also see God in this speech to God. Sometimes you can Uh, see a person very clearly by looking at what someone else is willing to say to them. Especially a speech like this, where David is basically just describing God. He's telling God what he sees when he looks at him. I think in David's humility... And in David's feeling of closeness to God, when he says that phrase, your servant has found courage to pray in your presence, I think we discovered the very same thing we discovered in God's speech. That is this, that God is to be respected and revered, that God is higher, that we are not worthy when we come into his presence. And also that God wants to be close to us and that we can have courage when we pray in his presence. This balance is tricky. Most of us are good at one or the other. We're either really good at having a very close and intimate and cozy relationship with God, or we put God up on this really high pedestal and we worship him from a distance and we obey him and we submit to him, but we don't think of him as someone we can actually be close to. It can be difficult to pull off both. But that is what God wants from us. He wants both respect and love. He wants both obedience and that coziness, that personal relationship. He wants us to be close to one another. He doesn't want his otherness, his superiority, his power to be something that separates us. He wants his power to be something that brings us close. This is why he used his power on David's behalf to take care of him and protect him and give him a kingdom. God is doing all of that in order to bring David close to him and to make David feel his love. So when we ask the question, who is God? Our answer is he's in charge. He gives the gifts. He sets the terms. He's the king and he loves you and wants to bless you and be with you he's your father the king is your father it is a really hard thing to get your head around you are in fact a child of the king he's a good king he's a king who wants to pull you right up onto his lap on his throne today at Look to Love. Have you reviewed us yet? Please do. Reviews help people find the podcast. They offer it some credibility. You know, people don't listen to podcasts with no reviews. They want to see, they want to know what they're getting into. This podcast began as I was writing the book, Look to Love, A Better Way to Read the Bible. So if you're interested in this way of approaching scripture, get yourself a book. It's available right now on Amazon. You can follow me at JL Gerhart on Instagram or Facebook or subscribe to my free biweekly essay, The Goodness, where I look for the goodness of God in the land of the living. Do reach out. I'd love to know you're listening. Until next time, I hope you'll look to love.